And all God's children did say, Amen. Yesterday I put out on Facebook that uh, I don't want to live just a good life, I want to live a transformed life. And that's what these next three Sundays are about. We're talking about transformation, Christian transformation. What does it look like? How do we go about it? What's involved? And so if you don't hear anything else I say these next three Sundays, I want you to hear this first statement. This is my definition. I don't know how you would define transformation, but this is my definition of transformation. If you would, indulge me just to repeat after me. Transformation is a lifelong process, of growing in God's grace, ultimately completed by God's grace in eternity. Transformation is a lifelong process of growing in God's grace, ultimately completed by God's grace in eternity. So if we're going to be transformed in the image of Christ, what are the stages? Are there stages? Are there benchmarks? Are there steps? Are there signposts that at least help us to know if we're making any progress in this transformed life? Methodists would say, are we growing in grace? How are we growing in grace? If transformation is a lifelong process of growing in God's grace, ultimately completed by God's grace in eternity, where do we start? How do we begin? Ken Wilbur is a, uh, a, a philosopher, and he has talked some years now about religion having four major movements or stages, religion having these movements or stages. He calls them cleaning up, growing up, waking up, showing up. And so for the next three weeks together, we're going to look at those stages or those phases, those phrases in terms of transformation, the journey of transformation, the journey of cleaning up, growing up, waking up, and showing up. And what does that look like and what does that mean? Today we begin with cleaning up and growing up. The text that I want to share with you related to growing up, the first scripture reading was a text that relates to cleaning up, and I'll say more about that in just a few moments. But the second reading is a, a growing up passage of scripture, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13. For those who are able, would you please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word and the proclamation of the gospel. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part, 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. I want to suggest this first movement, this first stage of transformation. And keep in mind that all four of these sort of interweave and they come in and out of our lives. It's not like we graduate from any particular stage, but it's a helpful framework to talk about them. And so the first movement, the first movement of transformation I want to suggest to you is cleaning up. What is cleaning up? Cleaning up is what it sounds like. It's cleaning up my life, acknowledging that my life is not what it needs to be. It's not perhaps what God would want it to be. Cleaning up is realizing that I have perhaps some attitudes or some behaviors or some beliefs that are harmful and hurtful, not just to myself, but to those around me and to the world at large. And I need to stop. That's what cleaning up is, identifying these things that are hurtful and harmful and stopping. How many of you remember the old Bob Newhart show? You remember the Bob Newhart show? He was a psychologist, he was a counselor. And there's this one episode, and I forget really the whole episode, but I remember it was an episode where the people coming to seek his counsel would come in, whether it was a couple or an individual, and they would sit there, they would come in and they would bear their soul, they would bear their heart, they would tell him what they were troubled about or why they were there to see him. And after they stopped talking, he would say to them, stop it. And that's it. Stop it. Next. And, the, and somebody else would come in and they would sit there, they would bear their soul. And he would listen intently. And then after they finished burying their soul, he would say, stop it. Getting started, getting cleaned up, basically is stopping some things. Getting cleaned up is basically committing ourselves to some of the basics of faith. How many of you, I don't want to, None of us are any better than anybody else, so don't get me wrong, but some of us may have grown up in the church, some of us didn't. It doesn't matter where you are on that particular journey. But how many of us learned the Apostles' Creed at a very early age? So many. How many of us learned the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes? If you haven't, Lee could probably teach you a song, <laughs> right? I mean, the, the children learned the books of the Bible, the basics, how do you pray, how do you read scripture, that's what we do when we're cleaning up. Most major religions, you probably know this, most major religions, where do they begin? They begin with purity codes. If you've ever wondered what in the world is the book of Leviticus for, why is it even in the Bible? It's a cleaning up book. It's the rules, the regulations, the practices. This is how you clean up your life. This is how you get started with God. It's the thou shalt nots, and thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that, and thou shalt not the other thing. That's cleaning up. Cleaning up is building this foundation of our faith as we're seeking transformation in our lives. And folks who are cleaning up, folks that are in that stage of cleaning up their lives, are very interested in the essentials 
What are the essentials? What are the basics that I need to know and understand? The passage that Kathy read to us a few moments ago, it's a fascinating text. This is coming out of the book of Acts. This is the early church, and there's this dispute. Our Jewish forefathers and foremothers, they wanted to know what is essential, and some of the early believers, they of course came out of the Jewish tradition, and some were saying, look, you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And Paul and Barnabas and some others were disturbed by that, and they disagreed with that, and they, so they had this big meeting in Jerusalem, and they called the elders and the leaders into Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas and some of the Gentile missionary leaders gathered together, and they had this big debate and this big discussion about what is crucial, what is essential, and Paul the, the letter that they sent was basically, look, circumcision is not, is not the standard anymore. It would be paramount to my saying to you, baptism doesn't matter. That's what Paul was saying. Everything they understood that connected them to the people of God, Paul was saying that's not necessary anymore. The essentials were shifting. And Paul says to them, these are the things. He writes to them. These are the things that are essential. And I don't know if you noticed them. Kathy, I don't know what it was like for you to read those. But did you hear the essentials? These are the things that are in the New Testament. And so as your pastor, I'm expecting you to follow these. And myself, okay? Susan, in these breaking bread groups, these are the essentials. Don't pay any attention to anything else. This is the letter that Paul and others out of that council said. These are the things. Did you catch them? You may not eat meat sacrificed to idols. I'm looking at some of you. Don't tell me. How many of you are going to Rafferty's? Just ask your waitress, your greeter. That's fine. Just ask them. Has anything that you're going to be prepared been sacrificed to idols? It's a good check. Did you notice the second thing? Do, do not drink blood. How many of you are drinking blood out there? Very disappointing. The, the third is not to eat meat that has been strangled. The animals haven't been strangled. Once again, go to your server, ask your waitress, ask for the chef to come forward if you need to, to clarify whether or not anything you're going to eat for lunch has come from an animal that has been strangled. Those are the essentials. Really? How many of you knew that? Those, those are the essentials? That's what really, really matters? The reality is that the essentials, friends, whether you believe it or not, about every century, the essentials shift. They shift because the world changes and traditions change and the way that God's Spirit is working and moving in the world changes and so these essentials, I mean, these, these are the essentials? I've shared with you before about my great-grandmother. I love my great-grandmother, Mamaw Corey. She was 92 years old when she passed. She looked like the granny on Beverly Hillbillies. She was so full of life and energy. She used to play with us great-grandkids out in the yard. We'd play games like Red Rover, Red Rover, and... Uh, uh, drop the handkerchief and some of those games and she would be right out there in her 80s still playing with us kids and we loved her. I loved her dearly. But if my Mamaw Corey were writing the letter 
about the essentials to those early believers, this is, these are the six things that Mamal Corey would have said are the essentials. You ready? You might want to write these down. These are the gospel. No smoking, dipping, cussing, dancing, playing cards, or games with dice. You want me to go slower? Make sure you get, you getting these? No smoking, dipping, cussing, dancing, playing cards, or games with dice. That, in my great-grandmother's mind, that's what it was. And all it was to clean yourself up. If you were a follower of Jesus, you had to do at least those things to clean up. You see, cleaning up is that stage of our faith where it's the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that, what, saved a wretch like me. It's introspective. It's looking at my life. It's looking in the mirror. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's cleaning up. That is getting started in this life of transformation. The reality is, folks, if you're still cheating on your taxes, you hadn't even, you hadn't even cleaned up yet. If you're, if you're still you fill in the blank. If you're still doing these things, then you haven't even cleaned up. Now, some of us, some of us grew up with a major cleaning up strategy in our lives. It was a primary cleaning up strategy. I grew up with it in the church that I grew up in. How many of you know what a revival is? Yeah. Every fall, every spring in my home church, we had revivals. And friends, don't misunderstand me. I am not making fun of revivals. In fact, my own faith journey was impacted greatly. When I was eight or nine, I forget the exact age, I walked the aisle in my home church during a revival meeting. And I knelt there and I accepted Christ and I was baptized, I'm told. I don't remember a lot of it now. It doesn't bother me. It was just a step in the journey. It's not where you stay. The idea is where are you headed? What are you doing in terms of your transformation? But it was at a revival meeting. And somebody tell me, what was the strategy of a revival meeting? Why did they have revivals? Anyone? Pop quiz. Why? What was the point of a revival? Nobody? To save, to save people. Is that language you're familiar with? To save somebody, to save souls, right? And it attracted people to come from all over. My grandfather was a General Baptist preacher, and he would have 30, 35 weeks of revivals. He took the tent around to communities. My father and my grandmother and his two sisters, they were the Smith Family Quartet. I mean, it was revival meeting week after week. And it drew people in to the whole community. Now, what happened to revivals? What happened to them? Now, some churches still have them, but what happened overall to them? Well, let's be honest, ESPN and about 4,700 other things that competed with revivals, right? Is this making sense? Do you follow me? It was a strategy, though, to reach people who didn't know Christ in a time where people would come to something like that with their family or their friends. Now, revivals would turn into, it, 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 in my home church, it basically became uh, the folks that were already saved. Everybody was there. 
And it was awkward because the preacher was preaching his heart out and giving an invitation. By golly, we're not going to stop singing until somebody confesses something. Right? Verse 47, we're singing again. And finally, by the grace of God, somebody remembers they stubbed their toe and they said their favorite curse word and they finally come to the altar and everybody wants to cheer. Hey, we get to go home. I'm just being honest with you. It became the gathering of the saints. And in some places that I served, we stopped calling them revivals. You know what we called them? Renewal services. Right? Because it was about renewal. We were no longer attracting the folks that didn't know anything about Jesus. There might be someone that came in. But it was a different. It was a strategy for cleaning up. But they went by the wayside for the most part because it became a gathering of those who were already saved, those who were already seeing. So what do you do with these people? One of the things I respect about Billy Graham, Billy Graham led all these crusades and brought people to Christ. It bothered him. He was wondering what happens next. And if you knew his strategy, when he went into a city or a community, he always brought in church leaders. He always brought in the representatives from churches in that community. Why? He understood that someone can come to the altar and say, Jesus, come into my life, but what do you do next? And it bothered him that people would make some profession and they would not be connected in some way to a community of faith where they could grow and be nurtured and encouraged in the faith. The strategy was to get somebody cleaned up, but what do you do after the person is cleaned up? And if we're not careful, we can get stuck. It's tempting to stay in that stage of cleaning up. And the reason we do that, it's tempting because it simplifies our life. If I just have to not dip, smoke, cuss, dance, or if I can nail down those six things, guess what? I start feeling kind of, you know, I'm kind of better than everybody else. I, that's what saved is. I'm, that's not too hard. I can do those six things. And what happens is sometimes a person who gets stuck in cleaning up, they become very judgmental. It's easy for them to slip into an attitude that somehow they have arrived in their faith and they've mistaken the whole journey of transformation and they've labeled it this one part, which is cleaning up. Does that make sense? I had a gentleman years ago in a church I served. He would come and pray with me before the service and I appreciated him coming and praying. But his prayer was basically this, Lord, help Jay, this was his words, help Jay to step all over me today. Help Jay to step all over me. I mean, I got to the point, I really didn't want him coming and praying with me. It just sort of cooled my cucumbers before I ever got... Talk about quenching the spirit, but, but what was happening there? His understanding was he was stuck in cleaning up, and he wanted his idea of coming to church is coming to church and let the preacher fuss at me, and if the preacher isn't fussing at me, I really haven't been to church. And what happens is someone gets stuck. They've mastered these five or six things, and their understanding of God becomes very punitive and very judgmental. And the reality is, my experience with some of these folks, these are the fundamentalists in the world, and there's a lot of anger underneath. Because what are they doing? They're still cleaning up from this God that sees so many things wrong in their life, and they haven't moved toward an understanding of growing up 
in Christ. What Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I believed like a, all the things that a child, but you have to put away childish things. And Paul says the greatest, the greatest thing we can do, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And the greatest of these is love. And growing up, shifting from cleaning up to growing up is shifting from understanding a God who is punitive and judgmental with the clipboard, making sure you're doing everything exactly right. Shifting from that to a God that you serve and respond to because you know God loves you. And out of that response of love, I'm not following Jesus because I'm afraid. I'm not following Jesus because I'm worried about where I will spend eternity. It's in the hands of a gracious, loving God. And so it's a shift. I'm growing up in faith. I'm connecting myself to other Christians. This breaking bread, Susan, it's beautiful. It's connecting people. Where's Susan? She is. It's, the idea is not just to eat together. We're connecting with each other. And folks, when you start to grow up, this transformation of growing up is connecting yourselves beyond yourself to other Christians, to other people. You learn and you stretch each other and you grow in your faith. But if we're not careful, we just get trapped and we just get stuck in this cleaning up. And God calls us to grow up God calls us to connect ourselves with other Christians. God calls us to see our faith, what Thomas Merton said, beyond your own personal salvation project. Am I grateful that there is a heaven? Am I grateful that by the grace of God, I can have that assurance that no matter where, whatever happens to me in my life, that eternity is sure. Of course I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. But that is not total transformation. That's cleaning up and having some sense, you know what, it's all right. But what do you do next? And what you do next is you connect yourself to other people. When we're baptized, we're baptized into the community of faith. Nobody gets baptized. We say, well, good luck out there. That's not how it works. When we baptize, we baptize into a group of people. And we help each other. We help each other grow up to be transformed. So, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what your greatest transformation need might be right now. Are you still cleaning some things up? Any and all of us still have those things. Don't get me wrong, we don't graduate from cleaning up, but is your primary transformation need cleaning up or are you needing to grow up? taking that next step. I don't want you to panic about it. I don't want you to be discouraged. And you know why? Because transformation, the very first thing I said, transformation is what? A lifelong process of growing in God's grace, ultimately completed by God's grace in eternity. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that continues to shape our lives. We thank you for the experience of our faith and the gift of our faith wherever that experience took place. We thank you for your transforming power in our lives and we desire that not 
just that we clean up our lives, but that we grow in our faith and help us to grow up in you in Christ Jesus. Be with us as we continue this journey of transformation. Be with us in the weeks ahead as we consider what it means to wake up and to show up in our faith, in our journey of transformation. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, your transformation made flesh, your Son and our Savior, and all God's transforming people did say, Amen.